Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hockberg, Arcanex's editorial manager here. The interview you're about to hear was recorded as part of Arcanex's first ever live podcasting event series, Next Up, held at Giant Jai Gallery in Los Angeles's Chinatown. As we ease into season two of our podcast, we'll be releasing over four hours of interviews and discussions from Next Up. Stay tuned to hear more about an exciting change to our shows this season and enjoy this interview from Next Up. All right, so here we have Andrew Kovacs, Klaus Benjamin Freyinger, and Jimenez Lai. And to begin, one thing we're all pretty interested in is the way in which uh, your work tends to exceed the normative realm of architecture and enter into other fields like art, for example. And uh, we were wondering if you could start off talking a bit about this. So I guess I got into architecture because I was always interested in drawing and I was always interested in, um, let's say, making markings and that somehow translated into plans and or sections. And, and so maybe now in my career, I, I wonder if uh, making drawings could be something else uh, besides simply brick and mortars. Sorry if that's a really boring answer. Art. So... Uh... I guess I would consider art and art history, which is also my background from a long time ago in another lifetime, as ultimately a study of objects. So whatever it is, um, I think our pursuit has always been to examine the relationships between objects. We often talk about this in terms or using the metaphor of grandma's attic, especially as it applies to Los Angeles, so that in order to occupy a cluttered attic, cluttered with objects, you have to kind of find a nuanced approach to how you interact with those objects and define the, the characteristics that make those objects coexist. So for us, I think it's always been about the that in that cluttered attic, that clutter operates better in a world that is flat. So ultimately, a garbage can and a Karl Fabergé egg can coexist based on the merits of physical properties as opposed to cultural baggage, if that makes any sense. Uh, I'm super flattered that you would think anything I make is art. (laughs) Um, But I'm an architect. How do you then consolidate those two ideas and if there's any perceived uh, friction between the two of them, which I would guess a lot of people in the public would, would want to put your work in one or the other, how do you kind of work out those two as to, um, in, to both relate to what you're doing? If you consider yourself, I'm following up with you, Andrew. If you consider what you do, architecture, and other people might perceive of it as art, how do you comprise those two ideas together? I don't don't know. That's totally fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's a totally fair answer. No, I think that that's part of the interest, too, is that not being too precious about how the public might interpret it and not letting that necessarily determine your next action. Yeah, I think those kinds of distinctions are interesting. Like, you know, and I think it's become kind of common to sort of want to put one thing in one camp or the other. But maybe I'm more interested in, like, seriously, if I were to take a a question seriously, collapsing the the distance between those distinctions, that that maybe those distinctions aren't so valuable in a way. Klaus and Jimenez, how would you respond to that idea? Um, So I also have an undergraduate degree in art history. And I would say right from the onset, uh, you know, we studied architecture in art history. And so, in a way, the idea of the art of architecture was always in human history. And at the same time, you know, the idea of capturing how we live uh, in archaeology, actually, is through studying the patterns on the ground. 
uh, in relatively large scales that we trace and make drawings of. And at the, at the end of that, then we understand how we lived as humans. So to say that architecture as a profession or as a vocation uh, has a distinction with the, art, the, art, the way that we live is maybe a little unfair to the way that we understand how, how we behave as humans. Uh, because, you know, the two of them are, are not that far apart. And in, in time, when, when we're all dead, maybe in a few hundred years or a few thousand years, the traces of what this is would be understood as art in itself. Who knows? So, so maybe the underlying theme is that all of it is needs to be perceived at, at face value, plain and simply. And we're sitting in a gallery right now that has a reputation and kind of a history of collapsing those two disciplines and kind of erasing the distinctions between the two. Um, almost every exhibition that, that's gone on here has been about, has been, curated or produced by architects, but it, it's always a one-off. It's never a retrospective of architectural work. You would never go in and see a collection of models of projects past. So um, I, I think this is a conversation we've, we've had before uh, about Jai and Jai in the gallery, and it's, it's obviously a, a, a topic that we're all wrestling at the moment, since every school in the country seems to probe the issue, and we're all slightly uncomfortable about it. But yeah, I would agree. I think it's about collapsing the, the distinctions. Well, I think schools have a very specific interest to colla- to understand that difference because they're interested in creating some type of money-making thing after the fact. You know, the function that they want those students to fulfill is towards art as a means of that part of the economy or architecture as a means of that part of the economy. So regardless of whether or not in, those th- in that thousand-year Anthropocene perspective where we consider all of these objects artistic in some form, in the present moment they have a function, and people perceive that function as either architectural or artistic, and maybe there, is def- there certainly is overlap, but you probably want to camp it in one area so that you can tell people how to use it, <laughs> because they might not be able to use it in other ways. So I'm wondering then, how do you imagine other architects who might consider themselves traditional practitioners relate to your kind of work? How do you think that the work that you do as architects impacts their idea of what architecture is that they might have considered just to be, I'm going to build houses for a living? Seems like you would ask them that question, no? Well, I want to see if you, if you have an idea of uh-huh. like, how you impact that other side of the, of the fence. I think maybe the, one, one of the underlying themes is maybe the relationship between art as a discipline or the business of art, right? Like, I think the business of art is very different um, versus the, the documentation or the, the study of art. And I think the function of art is also different from the business of art. So today, what defines ourselves as making art, maybe, maybe the business of art has more to do with, with what's art than it is to do with, you know, uh, what one does as art. Also, maybe architecture has an unfair disadvantage compared with the art world in that, although I would say only a handful of artists historically have really capitalized on their own work in their own time um, very well, you you are commissioned to show in a gallery. The gallery purchases the work. It, it it's, it's out in the public. And as architects, we always approach a project from scratch. It requires an enormous amount of trust. I think we've talked about this before. And... Essentially, a, a client, if you will, in the in the built realm, realm which is what you're talking about, and um, hands you a, a lump sum of money and entrusts you with this money to produce a piece of architecture. And the litmus test for this is to provide shelter, to do all these things, but also to elevate their soul and do all these other things that that people associate with architecture um, historically. All the baggage that comes along with the discipline and the profession. So. 
that's an enormous uh, that's an enormous challenge, uh, an enormous um, sort of thing to undertake. I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think in a way that like we don't actually need architecture, like we don't need architecture to survive um, as people. That it's just the kind of extra thing in the world that maybe makes our lives a little bit more pleasurable or enjoyable. But we could survive just fine without it. And I think oftentimes uh, building gets grouped into being architecture. But so I don't know. I mean, Jimenez kind of brought up inhabitation, which I think is, a, for me, in a way, the goal of architecture is to sort of reimagine the way we occupy the world. So I, I don't I don't know if it's kind of art or architecture or any of that. But. Maybe one way for me to like submit a thought is three M's, magic, monsoon, and mansion. Let's say mansion has to do with sustenance, right? Like you, you need enclosure around you. Uh, monsoon is disaster. So there are times that we react to disaster badly, and we say architecture is at fault for the things that we didn't do or did do. And then there's magic, uh, which has everything to do with what's interesting and fun. And you know, it's not about sustenance at that point. It's about let's say let's carve some uh, story. Into the entablature of a triangle, which becomes, you know, a, a Greek uh, temple. Mm-hmm. We've we've always been in the undertaking of magic. Architecture has been. We we tell the magic of the society that we're in. We're not necessarily responsible for only, uh, you know, sustenance or disaster. We're, we're we're here to do something else, which enriches our lives. I yeah, think. I agree with that. Um, you guys referred earlier to having previous conversations about trust. Yes. <laughs> so you're all friendly with one another. Is that yes. correct? Is, <laughs> is, this, is this a good forum to admit whether or not you are? Of course. <laughs> I love these guys. So can you talk a little bit about that conversation? I'm very curious as to how you all collaborate and relate to one another as a group, a professional. Well, how the conversation of trust wasn't about each other. No. No. Well, I mean, as a group that you had. Not necessarily trust of each other, but... Trust in general. This I wasn't. Isn't a self-help I, I, I wasn't there for that one. <laughs> now we were talking about, uh, let's say, uh, investment, right? Like, so architecture is not a thing you could do by yourself. First of all, and second of all, it's a thing that you do for somebody else. So, if I want to make a building, it's because somebody committed certain amounts of investment in the land or some materials. And anyway, but if I were to do art. Suppose I were in my house making some uh, photo and I, would, I were to montage that in some ways. I could say, well, the overhead was something like $20,000. But over and over again, the overhead for architecture is in the millions. So if somebody were to say, I'm going to ask you to help me with my millions. I'm going to please help me with my millions so I could do something else with it. That's an incredible, incredible amount of trust, which cannot be done with... You know, uh, looking interesting or acting strange—that's like, that's the kind of trust that you cannot, you know, you, you have to behave or or you have to do. And so, to look at the history of architecture of people who were able to manage that kind of trust, let's say Le Corbusier or even present day Ram Kohlhaas, there are people who manage that kind of trust in a way that influences the education of architecture uh, in a way that's mean in a way that's meaningful. Uh, I think that's really important. And so we're talking about trust in that way, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's as though, to go back to the distinction between art and architecture, so you produce a volume of art, it's picked up, 
and it's purchased or it's put out in the world, not posthumously necessarily, but post-fact. And architecture is the promise of, I will deliver something. And that something may have an enormous price tag. And that brings into question the, the, the whole conversation about trust. That's, that's what we're referring to. Thank you for clarifying. Andrew, did you want to say something? Okay. So, sounds like they're trying to figure out how to get clients to trust them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A valid exercise. Credential, of which we have none. <laughs> well, and then you also have to trust the client. I mean, it's obviously the trust is a... Which we don't. It goes both, it goes both ways, I guess. <laughs> right, of course. Um, I'd like to also open up now to anyone in the audience. If anyone has any questions for anyone on the panel, speak now or forever hold your peace. It's... It, it always comes up, right, the, uh, the art and architecture thing. I think maybe you should talk about a little bit the architect's view of art, what art is. I don't know if it's true. The other day, Greg Lynn was here and asked you if you kind of uh, use gesso in your paintings. Yeah, and he, he did ask He did? Yeah. And then artists would say, you know, yeah, it's Jessa. What the fuck did you think it was? What did you say? I said, yes, I applied some Jesso. It's like you're on the witness stand. <laughs> Which we are right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Do we, test, do we apply a testament that our, our an architecture is aligned? <laughs> yeah, you guys are the prophets, and we're all looking to you for some type of definitive answer. Oh, look away, please. <laughs> look away. Any closing comments? Doesn't have to be closing. It can be totally open-ended, but just a surrealist icing on the cake. More gesso. More gesso. Cheers. Less gesso. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you know, like we were, we were told to 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 think about the idea of the ex- extracurriculum activities, which you know uh, we all do, right? Mm-hmm. And you know. Ben and Andy, they, they were fascinated by, it, by my understanding of uh, Baroque paintings. Uh, Peter Paul Rubens was one of somebody who was interested in fattiness. And so, like, you know, doubly curved surfaces would be really great in a world of digital architecture. And Ben and Andy were working on, like, how these surfaces align. And Andrew Kovacs, uh, one of my oldest friends, if not the oldest friend, uh, has been... Uh, Which in architecture years is really old. It's about 700 years. Yeah. Uh, he's been looking at uh, objects with architectural qualities and that are not necessarily about, let's say, completing the construction documents or making the right invoices for the right people for, for the right projects. And so these guys have always, entirely in, the, in their lives, uh, been, been, been working on extracurricular activities, which I think is really interesting because, you know, people who teach or people who work on education or people who are in, like deeply diving into the world of architecture seem to do nothing about architecture. I mean, and Jimenez draws as his extracurricular activity. But I would think those extracurricular activities aren't really so extracurricular that they're just a kind of part of practicing architecture or doing architecture? And, and just looking at things. I mean, the, the obsession with Rubens comes from looking at architecture and, see, and realizing that we can either look at the whole church or we can focus in on the putty and its ridiculous relationship to its surroundings and its, its companions, if you will. So it, it's just a, a matter of how close you look and what you see, ultimately. I think that's a lovely note to end on. But thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.